Welcome back to the People's Tax Pod. I am your host, Vivian Liu. Today, I am joined by our panel, David Sorensen, Adam Poisner, and Phil Bliss. At the People's Tax page, we believe that America is plagued by three big issues. First is our growing inequality. Second is the tax system's role in exacerbating this inequality. And the third is how the tax code could be a solution to this problem. Smarter tax policy would ensure that the upper class pays its fair share of taxes. Also, a brief sidebar, what about that third stimulus package? Last week on March 11th, 2021, Biden signed the American Rescue Plan Act into law. It's a $1.9 trillion bill, which includes another round of stimulus checks, along with extended unemployment benefits, housing assistance, and temporary increases to the earned income tax credit, among other things. Although we unfortunately didn't see the minimum wage increase to $15 an hour like we hoped, the American Rescue Plan Act is still a very positive development in providing economic support to low-income individuals during the pandemic. That being said, let's circle back to this week's episode. Last week, we discussed three major taxes, the payroll tax, the individual income tax, and the corporate income tax. Specifically, we explained how each type of tax worsens the inequality that we see in America today. And today, we are going to parallel that format and answer this question. How can we better design our tax system to encourage the good behaviors of working, saving, and efficient management of assets? So last week, we discussed how the payroll tax only applies to the first about 140k of a taxpayer's income. Adam, I know you've been researching potential reforms to the payroll tax. What changes to the payroll tax do you think would help make for a more equitable tax system? Thanks, Vivian. There's a lot to be said about the payroll tax and how it can be changed. In fact, here on the People's Tax page, we've repeatedly discussed the payroll tax as one of the easiest taxes to change to help make a more fair tax system. Today, I want to talk about two fairly simple changes that could help push for equity. The first suggestion is quite simple to push the cap up or remove the cap on the payroll tax. As you mentioned last week, Vivian, currently the payroll tax starts at the first dollar you make, and the social security aspect of the payroll tax stops at about $142,000 as of January 1st, 2021. Due to this fact, the payroll tax is quite regressive as it starts off as a flat tax and then suddenly drops off. This means that those with less end up paying more of their income into this tax than the highest earners. Turning this regressive tax into at least a flat tax should be a priority. Surprisingly, unlike many of the other solutions we talk about, this is one that is currently being discussed at the highest level. The idea to change how the cap works was brought up on the campaign trail by President Biden and has recently been brought up again as Biden has turned to addressing tax policies. Biden proposed that income over 400K would be subject to Social Security aspect of payroll tax. This is an interesting proposal as a solution, especially as Biden has described this as temporary, as the two limits would be raised and lowered respectively over time until they met. In doing this, we would see a removal of the cap on the payroll tax. Regardless of if Biden is able to get this particular plan done, removing the cap on the payroll tax is an important step to a fair and more progressive tax system. The other major suggestion for making the payroll tax fairer would be to lower the payroll tax from the employee side, especially at the lower tax brackets. 
The payroll tax has gradually increased throughout the last 90 years to being the tax that the vast majority of working Americans pay the most into. There's a very simple solution to help put money back in the pockets of working Americans, reduce the employee's share of the payroll tax. President Obama actually did this for a short while in 2010. He reduced it by 2%. In context, what would that look like for different Americans today? Well, those working full-time at federal minimum wage, this would be about $300, which is more than a week of their pay. For those working at the average income in America, which is approximately 62,000 as of 2020, would get back a bit over $1,200. And for those currently paying the max, of uh, 142,000, uh, they would get about $2,800 back. This type of tax change would directly help working class individuals who are currently hurt by the tax system while not giving breaks to the richest, who we have discussed before often are able to completely avoid the payroll tax. This solution would be even more tailored if directed to coincide with the lower income tax bracket, but it's not strictly necessary as the benefit would still only be going to working Americans. The payroll tax is readily available to be fixed to help Americans instead of making the current inequality worse. Thanks, Adam, for those insights. David, let's go to you. Last week, you explained how the tax system is only progressive until around the 60K income level, with middle-class families being subject to an approximately flat tax. What changes would you suggest we make to the individual income tax, and what are the implications of those changes? So I think that, you know, when we think about the changes we would make to the payroll tax, we're hearing changes that would help out lower income Americans. Now, when we turn and we look at the income tax, we should be thinking about changes that are going to help middle and upper income Americans make decisions that are, you know, better for our society. The income tax currently has two main behavioral distortions. First, it discourages savings by double taxing them. And second, it encourages us to save and invest inefficiently because of the so-called lock-in effect. To the first point, people need to save more. A massive proportion of Americans don't save enough because they don't earn enough and they can't afford to. Why would you save for 20 years down the road when you're worried about paying rent today? But a lot of Americans can save and need to, but don't. As of a few years ago, it was estimated that as high as 60% of Americans didn't have any money saved for retirement. After the recent crisis, that number must be even higher. The tax code seems like a rational place to encourage this behavior. We could tax people in such a way to encourage saving more money. The way to do this is simple. Allow people to deduct their savings from their income and lower their taxes today, and then just include the savings in their income when they sell it. The tax code already allows us to do this to a certain extent. We can deduct approximately $20,000 per year from our income as long as we save it in a qualified retirement account. But that number is low for Americans who want to save aggressively for, say, an early retirement or for high-income Americans who should be saving more than $20,000 per year. I know, I know, woe is the rich. But the biggest issue with the rich isn't that they have financial security, it's that they often spend exorbitant amounts of money on frivolous things, or at least that's sort of the people we think of as the rich. If the tax code encouraged them to save their money instead, then they would have greater security and long-term prosperity, and our nation would have greater capital stores, which would lower the interest rate and encourage investment for all of us. The problem with the rich isn't that they have money. Their money could be a great boon for all of us. The problem is that the tax system encourages them to spend their money as fast as they earn it. 
If they don't, they have to pay income taxes on it today when they earn it, and then capital gains taxes on it tomorrow when they sell it. Why not just make them pay income taxes on it once when they sell it? The issue is even more exacerbated for people who tend to have short but successful careers. Think athletes or artists. Most musicians are only profitable for five years or so, but in that time, they could be earning several million dollars. We are all better off if they save that money so that they could have security after their star has you know, risen and, and fallen, instead of them going broke and potentially relying on government assistance afterwards. It's a personal choice whether they should spend their big check on a Ferrari or save it so they could have a lifetime of Toyotas, but the tax system could be encouraging them to be more responsible with their money and to be more secure across their life. An added benefit of all this is that less consumption means fewer greenhouse emissions in greater capital stores means more investment available for green energy products, but that's a whole other bag of worms. We want people who save their money to invest it based on today's economy, not the 1970s. But the way we currently tax capital does exactly the opposite. It all stems from the buy, borrow, die phenomenon that we frequently bring up. By enabling people to earn a 20% premium on their investments, as long as they hold them until they die, we discourage them from moving them from one investment to another. But think about what that means. Someone who started working in 1970 might dump their money into energy stocks or whatever. By the time solar was a real option in say 2000, they'd already put all their money into investments that are literally really inefficient these days but they would face a steep penalty if they pulled it out to move it into better investments, so they just don't. It's the lock-in effect. People don't move their money out of their investments because of the tax penalty. This effect is the reason that we actually see tax revenues from capital gains go up as tax rates go down. It is because they never need to sell. And if they don't, then they can get their returns at a premium. It's better to get 20% more of, of a little bit less than to get 20% less of a little bit more. The fix for this is easy. First step is to repeal the stepped up basis. I'm going to say it again. The single most important fix to the income tax is to repeal the stepped up basis. Once that is done, investors no longer earn a premium by hoarding their investments until their death. Without that option, they must pay the taxes on them sometime. And that means that the capital gains rate could finally go up to match the ordinary income rate because the rich folks with their bags of stocks sitting around their house can't just avoid it by waiting on it anymore. We could see a massive improvement to the income tax system if we made two simple changes. First, allow wage earners to save unlimited amounts of money for their retirement, tax deferred. Second, repeal the stepped up basis. Biden knows how to fix the tax system, and I believe he can get it done if he makes this a priority for his administration. Thanks, David, for sharing those two very straightforward, but also very compelling reforms. So, Phil, let's go to you now. I recall that last week you explained that decreasing the corporate tax rate would disproportionately benefit high-income earners, and you also explained that this bias towards Favoring high income earners is evident through pass-through taxation as well. In light of these issues, what reforms to the corporate tax would you suggest? Hey Vivian, as with any subject regarding US taxes, there's no simple answer uh, to how we can reform corporate taxes. These are incredibly complex structures we're talking about and they require true experts to solve. So to begin, we wanna remember what exactly is wrong with the corporate tax which will, which will reveal to us why we can't just alter the current tax rate. It needs serious structural changes. 
So like you said last week, I talked about how reductions in the corporate tax rate have a causal effect on wealth inequality. But keeping the corporate tax rate where it is or increasing the corporate tax rate is, is not, I repeat, not necessarily a solution to this problem. Even if you're not a free market co-conservative, it's not hard to see that high corporate taxes divert capital away from the U.S. corporate sector and toward non-corporate uses or, or other countries. And we heard David talk about more capital in general is a good thing. And our listeners may already know this, but many tax policy experts, including our expert, Professor McCaffrey, in an ideal world would totally get rid of the current corporate tax rate in favor of a different kind of tax. And as our listeners also may already know, the U.S. corporate tax rate is not actually that low in comparison to most other countries. Before the 2017 TCGA, it was the fourth highest, and now it's the 85th highest, bringing it around the middle of the international corporate tax rates. So before the 2017 TCGA, when the corporate tax rate was 35%, most U.S. businesses, 95% actually, were passed through entities. Uh, which, as I explained last week, these entities do not pay the corporate tax because they pass their income onto individual owners. So these pass-through entities or businesses, which were originally supposed to distinguish smaller companies, can sometimes get away with a ton of tax avoidance because they are structured to have thousands of shareholders and can also be publicly traded, but still maintain a private status. You can often think about uh, these companies as partnerships. So by decreasing the corporate tax rate, the TCJ tried to, or you know, allegedly tried to, incentivize such companies to no longer use these pass-through loopholes in favor of a lower corporate tax. And if this was the only thing that the 2017 TCJA had done, decrease the corporate tax rate to 21%, it actually may have done some good to disincentivize tax loopholes via pass-through entities. But unfortunately, it also gave separate advantages to pass-through entities. But this displays to us, the dilemma um, at hand in terms of a corporate tax reform. So we can't raise the corporate tax or capital will leave the U.S. and businesses will convert to pass their entities. But we don't want to lower it because that will lead to further wealth inequality. So how do we fix it? Some experts suggest reducing pass-through entity loopholes and slightly increasing the corporate tax rate to a range from 25 to 28%. This is a rate similar to other developed economies. This change could theoretically eliminate inefficient tax sheltering, but it still risks encouraging businesses to move abroad. And this is where some more creative reforms come in. One such idea is a carbon tax, which would, one, raise revenues, it would, two, discourage carbon-intensive energy, and three, increase federal revenue uh, such that it could, the government could decrease tax rates in other areas. And, you know, it's a great idea to maybe supplement corporate taxes, but it's not applicable to enough businesses and not enough to replace the current corporate tax. So another reform idea that does have potential to totally replace the current corporate tax is a consumption tax that encourages greater capital in the US. But we'll get more into that next week. Yeah, thanks so much, Phil. I really appreciate the entire panel's thoughts on you know how we can reform the payroll individual income, and corporate tax going forward. The changes you all suggested would certainly go a long way in encouraging workforce participation, savings, and efficient asset management. It does seem like some version of these changes are on Biden's agenda, and that's something we definitely like to cover on the People's Tax Pod in the coming months. Thank you again to Adam, David, and Phil for joining me today 
to discuss the ways in which the tax system can be reformed. To our audience, thank you all for listening. We understand that tax policy reform can, at least at first glance, seem like a very murky topic. That being said, we hope that our conversation sheds some light on what tax reform might look like in practice. If you have any questions, want to subscribe to our newsletter, or want to donate, you can head over to peoplestaxpage.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at People's Tax Page. Our PR slash marketing aficionado, Annie Yang, has been creating some great infographics and content in general, and I would highly encourage you to check them out on our social media platforms. As always, you can also rate and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud at People's Tax Pod. Stay safe and we will see you next time.